So tonight is going to be, I know before you all laughed, it's going to be very short teaching. Very short. And it's called Worshiping in the Spirit. And talked with Jeff, and we were talking about doing tonight, and as we were talking about music, the Lord kept saying to me, Psalm 150, because after all, it seems like a the logical thing to do. And um, then I started thinking about the Ted Pierce and Paul Over songs and everything that has but, but anyway. But Psalm 150, you know, it's the last song. How many of you know there's 150 songs? Yeah. If you don't know that, I don't know what to tell you. Other than you need to spend more time in the world. But um, this is called Worship in the Spirit, and it is from Psalm 150. It's a short song. You can even memorize it. I can even put all the scripture up on the board. But that's how short it is. We wouldn't do this, you know, with most Isaiah chapters. <laughs> we just put up the highlights. But here, this is King David writing this. King David was almost as good a musician as Valerie and Jeff. Oh, and 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 he wrote the vast majority of the songs. And of course the songs were sung. So this is so cool. The song, you know, we recite the songs, but they were sung and they were written to be sung. And if you notice, you know, he addresses it to the to the choir master and to whatever all the titles are, because they're all musical. And you know, the Psalms of Ascent that we talk a lot about from one example here is 122. You know, the people sang those songs as they went up the steps to the temple. I mean, the songs were so powerful. And at the Seder, you know, we say the Hallel Psalms, and they're just so powerful. And David wrote all this. And was David a perfect person? Well, no. He was a man after God's own heart. Right? Scripture tells us. When Samuel anointed him, it says the Holy Spirit washed on David and never departed. So you would think if the Holy Spirit washes on you and never departs, and you're a man after God's own heart, he probably walked around all the time with his hands folded two feet off the ground and a halo on his head. But you know if you've read anything about David, that was not the case. But the Holy Spirit, the Ruach, inspired him to write these beautiful psalms. And 150 is the last one. But we're going to see at the end there's a very important little point that's mentioned that's a little different than the other psalms. Praise the Lord. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty firmament. Praise him for his mighty acts. Praise him according to his excellent greatness. Praise him with the sound of the trumpet, which of course should be shofar. Praise him with the lute and the harp. Praise him with the timbrel and dance. Praise him with stringed instruments and flutes. Praise him with loud cymbals. Praise him with clashing cymbals. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Woo! So, what do we have here? The word praise is used 13 times in six verses. 13 times in six verses. So, it's pretty important. It's a necessary thing. It's a great and necessary thing to praise Him. And it's emphasized over and over again. 
It wasn't just for the Levites. You know, if you come from different Christian traditions, you know, people say, oh, well, you know, the priests can just go do that. Oh, you know, the ministers can just do that. And, oh, you know, those monks over there can sing. No, this, these songs were not just for the Levites. They weren't just to be sung in the sanctuary. They were to praise him. So the necessity of praising him was for everyone, not just, quote, the clergy, as we would call them today. Because we all have to praise him. And as Valerie and Jeff, you know, point out in those songs, we owe him praise. We owe him praise. The attitude that we have is not, well, you know, I guess once in a while I can say, you're awesome. I guess once in a while I could say a little prayer. I guess once in a while I could listen to a CD in my car. I still have CDs, I know y'all probably don't. <laughs> whatever, whatever the newer thing is. That's not the attitude. That's not the attitude that David wrote this with. And when you see the beautiful writing in Psalm 51, which we talked about the other night at the group, you know, he says he wants a humble and contrite heart. He doesn't want the Holy Spirit to be taken away from him. And we don't want that either. And we want to have a humble and contrite heart. We don't deserve to walk around saying, yeah, Lord, I'm here today. You should be happy I'm even here. A lot of other places I could have gone, but I came here. So I'm a pretty important guy. Just saying I'm here. No. And like the, the the revival that started in Asbury that many of you have started watching and been following, it started with kind of a really not very moving talk by a man who was an ultra-Orthodox Jew, came to faith in Yeshua, did a very nice talk about God's love, texted his wife and said, oh, I struck out again, I'll be home in a few minutes. And all of a sudden, a student comes forward and starts confessing sin and repenting. And then another handful, and then another handful, and then another handful. So that was two weeks and two days ago, and it's still going. 50,000 people have come into the town of Wilmore, Kentucky since this began. Because it began with repentance, and then it went to praising. Because when you see what your status is before God, and before you know Yeshua, and before you call out to him, and you realize what you are and how you stand before him, all you can do is be so grateful and thankful that he rescued you from this abyss that we're all living in. That what can you do other than praise and say and fall to your knees and stand up and whatever posture you like to pray in. And so it's for everyone. The first couple of verses tell us where do we praise him? In his sanctuary. Okay, okay, you go to a church. This is a sanctuary. Yeah, we can praise here. Do I worry? Go to a messianic congregation. Yep, yeah, this is church. We praise here. They could have said, you know, we go to the temple and praise. We go to the synagogue and praise, whatever it is. But we're praising in his sanctuary. It's like in another world. It's in his presence. It's in his presence in another dimension. I knew a man who, 
He was a patient of mine. He was a very young. He had a PhD in physics. And he worked for NASA. He was just a brilliant guy. And he started explaining to me one day about how God lives in every dimension at the same moment. And so we can't comprehend him because we live in three dimensions, you know, four if you have time. But he exists in hundreds of dimensions all at the same time. And I was like, wow. I thought we were just here to have lunch. <laughs> but he's in the other world. He's in the heavenly sanctuary. You know, the writer to the Hebrews, the writer to the Hebrews talks about it's a sanctuary not made by human hands. And that's where Yeshua went with his own blood as he went through the veil. To the sanctuary not made by human hands. And so we praise him in that sanctuary. The Hebrew that's used there means it has the same meaning as tabernacle and temple. So he has an earthly temple. And now, of course, we're temples of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit dwells in us when we become believers. And there was the earthly sanctuary, which was the temple. Now he lives in us, as well as living in places of prayer. So we praise him in the sanctuaries. And in the heavenly sanctuary, the praise is continuous. Continuous. The angels are going back and forth. I love Isaiah 6, where, you know, with two wings, they cover their eyes, and with two wings, they cover their feet. With two wings, they fly. And they just go back and forth saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God of hosts. The earth is filled with his glory. Over and over and over. Like that song said, it's the song that heaven sings. That's what you're saying when you're in heaven. The angels have been doing it since before there were any human beings. The saints are doing it now, the ones that are there. And hopefully we'll be there doing it too. Hope he comes back tonight. So I'd like to be doing that like later tonight or maybe tomorrow morning. You're trying. Nobody likes to jokes anymore. <laughs> so he's in the heavenly sanctuary, he's praised continuously. And it says it's permanent because his power appears in the heavens. Everything that's created shows that there's a creator. You know, Romans 1, Paul restates this. So that every man is without excuse. Isaiah's, Isaiah's um, exclamation was that the whole earth is filled with his glory. Well, we know heaven and earth are filled with his glory. All the creation is filled with even though people today would want you to think that, well, you know, if you spread all the parts of a watch on the floor, something would happen and all the pieces would come together and make a Swiss watch. But there's not really a watchmaker. It just happens randomly. But his power, his glory is seen in everything that's created. Paul says, so that every man is without excuse and woman. So when you die, you can't say, well, I didn't know you were real. I think, I thought just those kooks believed that. No, his glory is in all creation, so it says in the firmament, because it testifies of what he's done. It testifies of his omnipotence. It testifies of his omniscience. It testifies of his omnipresence. In the Psalms, you know, David says, if I go to the heavens, you're there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you're there. If I go in the depths of the ocean, you're there. Where 
turn that there. You're everywhere. Because he thought I'd be present. And this testifies of that because we see his glory in everything that's made. So David wrote, we see it in the firmament. We praise him in the firmaments. So when you see pictures from the Hubble telescope and now there's newer ones I can't remember the name of, you see those beautiful nebulae and you see all those amazing galaxies and all that other things that we have no way to really see in detail from Earth. You know, scientists say, well, see, now we know all that stuff. Yeah, we don't, we don't think there's a God, but now we know all that stuff. We as believers say, wow, look at the vastness of creation. Look at the majesty of creation. Look at the beauty of creation. Look at the extent of creation. His glory is in all of that. And so that's why we praise him in the firmament. Then it goes on to say we praise him for his mighty acts. Wow. We praise him for what he's done and for what he's doing. Yep, the people were delivered from Egypt. Yep, the Red Sea was parted. Yep, the provision was given in the wilderness. Yep, they went to the land. Yes, we were delivered out of a slavery of, to sin by Messiah Yeshua. We were filled with the Holy Spirit. We've gone through our Christian life heading toward the ultimate promised land, as the writer to the Hebrews says. So in all those acts, all the provisions, all the things he's done, you praise him for all of that. Just the greatness of his being. You know, Psalm 8, who is man that you're mindful of him? You know, when you see those pictures from the Hubble telescope, you think, what is this little human being walking around here that the creator of all that would even notice him? But yet, the God who created all those things wants to have a relationship with you and wants you to talk to him and wants to talk to you. Not in prepared statements, not in, you know, prayers that you memorized when you were five years old. He wants to talk to you. And we praise him in all of these acts and all of this being because we can never say enough about it. Like anybody probably can look back on the day or the evening or the night when they met Yeshua and think about what your life was before that and then how it changed. And you know you're never going to be the same. Your life is never the same again. I can say my life was never the same again. I'm sure Jeff can say his life was never the same again. I'm sure Valerie can say that. And I mean, John can, I, all of you can say that. So we can never say enough because everything we do say will never be adequate. We can sing these beautiful songs and the angels that are actually, you know, like Gabriel said to Zechariah, I'm Gabriel who stands in the presence of God. And Zechariah, you know, learned an important lesson when he talked to him, you know. I don't know about you guys, but down here on Earth, when we're this old, we don't have babies. Exact. So we didn't talk for nine months and eight days. <laughs> but anyway, but they may sing more beautifully than we do. But whether we're praising them, him, whether we're praising him or they're praising him, it's never enough. It's never adequate. Never adequate. 
So because we're finite and because he's infinite and because he's perfect and we're defective, we can't even we, we can't even begin to understand this. You know, like Paul writes in Corinthians, the Holy Spirit plums the depths of God. The Holy Spirit goes into the depths of God. God is so complex to understand. The Spirit is going into the depths of God. We in our little finite minds can't say, oh yeah, I talked with him a little bit this morning. We're cool. Because we're finite and defective. How can we even attempt this? Well, it's very difficult to attempt this IRA. It's very difficult to do this IRA. It's very difficult to do anything in your life as a believer of your own power. Your faith is not is even a gift. You know, we always use the example here. You might have heard it when you were here. You haven't been here, but I always use the example of those first Jewish evangelists who went into the Mediterranean world to preach the gospel, to preach Messiah, to people who had no clue who Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob were, nor did they care. They didn't care that the Jews were waiting for a Messiah. They could have cared less. They had no idea what was going on in the temple, and they could have cared less. They didn't wake up in the morning and say, well, I hope somebody comes today and tells us about the Jewish Messiah. We've been waiting. But somebody like Paul comes. I always use Paul because he's my hero. He's my favorite. So somebody like Paul comes into their town and starts preaching. They come to faith in the Jewish Messiah. How does that happen? Because Isaiah tells us, I'm going to be found by people who aren't looking for me. People who don't know me are going to know me. People who are not even a people are going to know me. I'm going to yell, I'm going to whistle to, to them. Here I am, here I am. The Holy Spirit falls on them and says, what this guy is telling you is true. And they come to faith. When you meet Yeshua, the Holy Spirit acts on you and shows you that this is salvation, shows you that this is your way out of the predicament that you're in. You're in a predicament. We're all dying of the same disease. And the Holy Spirit acts on us. Romans 3. Likewise, the Spirit also helps in our weaknesses. For we do not know what we should pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Now he who searches the hearts knows now he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is, because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. We don't know how to pray. We don't know what we should be doing. But the Spirit comes into our spirit to help us do that with groanings and utterances. Groanings and utterances. Then in, in verses 3 to 5 of Psalm 150, all these different instruments are mentioned. You know, shofar, you know, it's always, it's always translated trumpet, but we know that it's a shofar. So I think it's much more powerful if we say shofar. So all these other instruments are added to the shofar. Because nothing should be held back. Nothing should be spared when it comes to praising. But these were instruments that were used in the temple worship. The shofar, of course, we don't know. But these other instruments were also used in the temple worship. 
And sometimes, as you know, in Second um, Chronicles, when Solomon goes to dedicate the temple, and he says, I built God a house, and the heavens can't even contain him. How, how is this building going to contain it? The whole temple was filled with the Shekinah glory, and they couldn't minister, they couldn't see anything, the singers couldn't sing, the musicians couldn't play. They all had to go outside. Wouldn't that have been cool to see? <laughs> so these instruments are used in the temple worship, and they're playing in perfect harmony. Just like the voices are in harmony. It's like the angels are in harmony. Like people who can sing, you know, I always say that the building needs to be evacuated. And you've heard me say that before. All the instruments and voices are in perfect harmony. They're all joined together. And the instruments are joined with the human voice. That's also a creation to praise him. You ever think about that? Your voice is your main instrument for praise. And so all these things work in harmony. And so there's a created order of praise, and it should all be melodious. Why? Because in Romans 15, 6, that you may be with one mind and one mouth glorify God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So with one mind, one mouth, all the instruments you glorify God, who's the Father of Messiah. So, who has to do this? Everyone who has breath. Actually, everything that has breath. Well, a dog has breath. Can a dog praise God? Yes, praises God by his existence and being a dog. Does a cat praise God? Yes, because he breathes and he's being a cat. And when our neighbors used to say to us, you know, we always had cats. We always had cats. Our neighbors used to say, oh, your cat killed the bird over here, and the cat had to walk. He's a cat. That, that's his nature. And I have to say, the woman who lived across the street at that time who hated our cats saw a mouse in her garage and totally freaked out and wanted one of my cats to go over there. So I, so I put the cat in the garage and closed the door. And within minutes, <laughs> the mouse was dealt with. But everything and everyone who has breath, that means all people. That means all animals. That means Jew and Gentile. All. Because, of course, this foresees the Gentiles are going to be in the kingdom. David talks about the nations are going to praise you. Right? I'm trying to remember the verse. Um, and Isaiah, of course, says that all the time. The Gentiles, the Gentiles, the nations, the, the isles, the islands, the coastland, those are always for the Gentiles. They're going to praise you. So David writes, Everything, everyone, all are going to praise. So this is the work of the glorified angels and people who are in heaven, but it's our work too while we're here. And this psalm ends with a hallelujah. This is really cool. I haven't thought about this till after we talked the other day and started rereading and rereading. The psalm doesn't end with an amen. You know, it's the last song. There's all this thing about praise. 
there's all this kind of, you know, kind of doxology stuff that usually ends with an amen. But it just doesn't end with an amen. It's a continuous praise. It's continuous in heaven. It should be continuous for us here. And it ends with the word hallelujah, which is praise God. Praise the Lord. And that's how the psalm ends. So after all the disunity and all the rebellion of people, there should be unity of praise. And that's the last word of the psalm, is hallelujah. If it said amen, you'd think, well, of course, you know, in English, we think amen is the word that ends with prayer. <laughs> but, you know, where's Jordan? That's supposed to be fun. Yeah. But, but, but it goes on, because it's, the whole book of Psalms ends with hallelujah, so it's never-ending. The praise is never-ending. So we're not supposed to say, yep, praise him tonight, yep, tonight, tomorrow, I don't know. Man, nah. nah, maybe Sunday morning if I go to church and praise a little bit. But then the rest of the week, you know, forget it, I'm bored. Now, the praise is never supposed to end. Because of faith, because of love, because of our confidence, because of the enthusiasm, the confidence that we have in Messiah, the confidence that we have in Yeshua should be the key of this. Because we can never comprehend what he's done for us. We never can comprehend. Have you ever talked to people who say, well, you know, Jesus was a good teacher, he was a really good philosopher, came to teach us how to live, and, you know, it's too bad they killed him. Boy, that was mean. No! <laughs> That's not the point. But we have confidence, we have faith in who he is. Because he's the I am. We have faith in who he is. We have faith in what he did. And we know that he's triumphing. Is that a word? That he's having triumph over darkness. That we're going to have triumph. You know, in several places in John, you know, John 12, it says the ruler of this world is about to be judged. We know we talked about this a couple weeks ago. Yeshua called Satan the ruler of this world. But Yeshua's triumphed over this. So we should be rejoicing in his love and in his glory. So how can we do this? Verse 15. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you receive the spirit of adoption. By whom? Whom? It's a person. It's not a cosmic force. By whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness to our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs. Heirs of God, joint heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. So the Spirit tells us we could call him daddy. We could call him daddy. It's like a little kid who's excited to see his father. He says, daddy, Abba. The spirit tells us we could cry that out because we're adopted. And if we're adopted, we're co-heirs with him. Co-heirs. An heir is someone who inherits. So if we're co-heirs, we inherit everything that he inherits. Which is what? Everything. And he repeats this in Galatians. And because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. So the fact that he's our Abba, 
the fact that he has done these things for us. We can't help but praise. And even if we do it inadequately, we still have to do it because we can never do it perfectly until we're in front of the front. So, again, thanks for coming, Voice of the Shepherd.